The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds, smart investing starts here. Hello, and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. The Permission to Succeed podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who found that point in their lives to throw caution all aside and just go for it. The genesis of the podcast is based on the great appreciation for the lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King, who were entrepreneurs of their own in their day and their world-changing impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place advisors can come to to grow their minds and businesses. Power your advice at iris.xyz. And our guest today here in Muggy, New York, is Lucille Mayer, the COO of Apex Clearing. Hi, Doug. Mm-hmm. Nice to be here. Thank you for coming in to join us. I know that you're traveling this week like crazy. Yep. Off to Dallas and then to Portland later in the week. That's great. So Apex is everywhere. It is. I mean, home base is Dallas, but certainly we're in New York, we're in Chicago and Portland as well. And this is a pretty new role for you. Yes, only since the end of last October, so less than a year. After a whole bunch of time at someplace else. (laughs) Yes, Yes. I hate to say this, 29 years at Pershing and BMY Mellon. That's amazing. So, But I should say, in those 29 years, over 20 jobs in that role. Different roles, different responsibilities in technology, in business. I uh, had tremendous amounts of opportunities while I was there. So shaped you quite well for this new role as COO. Yep, it's, you know, I'm a classically trained technologist, but I think, again, having lived both sides and being in a new tech firm, uh, it really gives me an opportunity to look at from the other side and make the business decisions now. And haven't we come so far that um, in financial services, we're calling someplace that custodies and clearing a tech firm? Well, I think our industry runs on technology and it really makes the difference. So, and it's really not technology for technology's sake. It's really what is the value of the technology that you're bringing to the table and what does it help to facilitate? Now, again, I think that's what Apex can bring to the table. And are you finding advisors scared of technology or just scared to implement technology? My history with advisors, and it's been many, many years, has been that they're slow to change, right? They become comfortable in what they're used to and what has worked for them. The issue is, though, the investors, the consumers are changing, right? They have different expectations. Right. So the advisor's value proposition is coming under fire. They're going to have to evolve. The investor's going to asking for different stuff, and it's changing. So what are you seeing out there around the whole traditional advisor? Well, in the traditional advisor space, uh, certainly, um, there's a whole new... Um, emerging wealth that is out there for the taking, but they want a different type of experience. Um, A recent Harris poll said that about 88% of the wealth management out there does want to have a combination of technology and um, certainly the human aspect. The uh, robo-advisor, which has really gained a lot of attention recently, um, really hasn't taken hold. It's made a difference but it's not enough, right? And, it, and certainly someone with, with money to invest is not going to use that as their only vehicle. So the challenge for the advisors today is to how to bring the technology and all the things that can be accomplished through technology, but within this kind of personalized experience. So it's kind of knowing the client, 
and and that's the value that the advisor brings. Yet they want to have their interaction and their experience be like the way they go and sign on to Amazon and get something done immediately or have all the information available to them that they need to see at any time. So the challenge is bringing that all together, actually. And it's just not for the next wave, the millennials. It's also for boomers. I was at an event this weekend with my mother-in-law, and she's Instagramming, and she's in her 60s. So it's, it's everybody's needing it. For sure. I think um, I actually was at an event last month at Invest uh, where they were talking about the boomers and talking about um, how there are uh, 20% of the boomers don't have any retirement assets at all. Um, there's another 10% that have minimal amounts of, of advisory assets. Um, the question is, how do we start to bring more and more of those people to the table and reach them and give them vehicles to um, actually get them to play in the capital markets? And there's lots of different things we can do as an advisory space and um, a technology space to go there. So I ask this a lot, and is the traditional advisor an endangered species? I honestly am happy to say that they're not. But the question is, they have to learn how to complement their services, their personalization that they're bringing to the table with um, technology that can make them omnipresent, can make them available at any time, can make them um, have more of the information that the investor needs at the time that they need it. Um, so bringing that together um, and making them much more responsive. For example, we have still have situations where advisors may take days to open an account. How do we start to bring that experience closer to be like what the robos can do? The robos can open accounts instantaneously within seconds. Why can't a human advisor have that same kind of experience? A lot of what we're focusing on in Apex right now is how to take the best from the robos and actually bring that to the advisors and, by the way, the investors' experience as well. That's Big great. focus there. So let's talk about the non-traditional firms. Um, what are you seeing going on with those? And by non-traditional firms, maybe what we're talking about. So when I say non-traditional firms, I'm really talking about what I'd call the digital natives the firms that come to everyone's lips, the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks of the world that live in the client experience space. So they've created their brand and their loyalty about an experience that they give, that they try, they constantly continue to refine and continuously improve. The point is, we're also seeing a trend where those digital natives are coming to the table and saying, wait, let me take advantage of my community now. And how do I start to expand and diversify the services that I can bring? One of those can be wealth management. And so we really all as an industry need to be very cognizant, including the advisors, that these experienced experts are going to come and want to dabble in these types of, you know, in our investment space. Certainly Apex is right in the forefront of that as being known as the fintech clearing and custody firm. We're starting to hear a lot from different, these disruptive type firms that want to understand how to get into the financial services business. So you can go on and order your whatever from Amazon and 
potentially buy Apple stock. Right. Think about that. Think about how they can probably reach, again, a lot more people than the the traditional advisors can reach because they already have the affinity group around them, the brand loyalty that may have a person, an investor, maybe consider to invest when it's as easy as going to buy a CD. Right. We were coming down to Jay Connolly's offices today to record this, and Sarah looked at an Airbnb thing, my coworker, and within minutes on Instagram, there was an Airbnb ad. So Siri's listening to you all the time. And collecting data constantly, right? And that's a big change as well, right? The digital natives are very adept in starting to collect information about the behaviors of their community so that they continue to refine that experience to make it more personalized. So that's all of what you're seeing with the Airbnb example. How do we bring that to investments? How does the advisor take advantage of that? Right. So if Amazon gets into the business, how is an advisor supposed to compete with that? Well, again, the, the advantage that the advisor still has is the relationship, the personalization. And we can't lose sight of that. The, the issue is, though, the advisor also has to step up and realize that their experience, again, of opening the account over days is not going to be something in today's modern digital world that that investor is going to feel comfortable with. They'll be okay to go sign on to something if it allows the process to move faster in digital speed as they used to when they shop. So how is Apex furthering this experience for advisors to compete with that? As I mentioned before, we're certainly looking at the experiences of the robot. Remember, we have all the plumbing we have the way to be able to open an account in less than nine seconds, open and fund an account. We've already created that for the fintechs. We are also facilitating lots of different robo-advisors to do that. How do we now start to bring that into what I call an advisor assistant account opening? So the advisor can begin the process, but leverage those, those behaviors or those experiences to actually be able to open that account in the same amount of time, not days. We're bringing that forward. Another thing that's very important is that we're focusing on fractional and nominal trading. So how do we then begin to expand the amount of people, investors that can actually participate in the capital markets because they can buy that share of Amazon or half a share of Amazon or a quarter of a share where they couldn't before. So it allows more people to come into the industry and be able to stash away, let's say, some small amounts of money, whatever they have. It's no longer about going to the $100,000, the million-dollar investor. What's been some of the feedback you're getting from advisors on this, on this experience of opening things really quickly in the fractional? I think they're all very excited about that. I think that's becoming the holy grail. I think that you'll see a lot of uh, thought leadership in the industry saying, what is taking us so long? Why are we not moving and keeping up with the fintechs that are coming along? Our experience should be the same way. But again, we have that human aspect to it. So I think they're all very excited about watching it coming. And this is why you left after 20-some years and moved to something so exciting. Well, I think that's, I think, yes, it's, it's the next stage of the change, right? And really starting, I'm really, really excited and bullish about the opportunity that's out there. And it's really the opportunity to shake up the market and change the game of what um, is expected by that advisor relationship. Um, And again, I'm excited by technology, always have been. 
Um, I do think that APEX brings certainly the nuts and bolts to actually facilitate that actual change. It's less encumbered by some of the traditional legacy um, rules and mores that, that we've had before in, in the older technologies. So we're able to really get out there and, and push the envelope a bit. So if advisors wire themselves the right way, they can compete with the non-traditional firms because of the relationships that they have. I, I really believe that's so. And I think, again, that's what, what the uh, polling in the industry tells us. No one is saying, I don't think there's an investor out there that would say uh, that a technology could fully um, replace an advisor and an advisor's experience and counsel. And it's all about their relationships. So you really do want to uh, actually preserve that but yet making sure that the experience is closer to what they experience in their day-to-day lives. So this is the Permission to Succeed podcast, and you've been in financial services a while. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there were many times being a female in this industry where you had to give yourself permission and go and succeed. So you have any stories for me? Sure. Let me start back, and I'm going to talk back probably in the first 10 years of my career, which is over 20 years ago now, I hate to admit. Uh, I would talk about um, the first time I was given the opportunity to run a large team, and it was a team of about 100 developers at the time. Um, And, you know, certainly I've I've always been, um, throughout my career, very fortunate to have mentors, I think we'd call them today sponsors in today's world, the people that took a chance on me and saw something in me and gave me this opportunity. And I remember um, talking to the then CIO that I worked for about taking on this role, and I was concerned. And he said, don't worry, Lucille. He said, you know, you'll make mistakes and we'll fix them. And just give yourself the ability to make those decisions and don't be worried about being right or wrong so much. And so that was one thing I learned certainly, which was... um, You know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes, right? Um, But the second and more important piece is that when I was offered that opportunity, I actually had four male peers that all thought they should have had that role that went to me. And what I didn't know at the time is those those four male peers actually went into the existing manager's office, so the the man who I was going to take uh, over for, and demanded to know whether I got that job because I was a woman. And I had no idea that this meeting happened until sometime later that year. Because what the manager had said was, well, certainly it didn't hurt. <sighs> now, how I found out about the meeting is that over that, le- that remaining year, each of those male peers in a one-on-one with me, told me about the meeting and told me what the manager said. And what they also told me was that they could now understand why I received the opportunity. So they were complimenting me, essentially. Mm -hmm. Now, I think back, and I think back of if I had known about that meeting and if I had known what the manager had said, how would I have been constrained by that belief or knowing that, and it was a very weak answer to me, to be honest with you. But still, I think it would have affected me. I was better off not knowing. And in fact, the way that I did find out was actually, actually gave me more confidence because they were validating 
that I had gotten the job mainly because I was qualified for it. Mm -hmm. So I always appreciated that. And I think as I've gone on in my career, and I've had lots of opportunity to give people chances in different roles, and uh, and I think part of what I can bring to the table is to know when to help and when to back off and give them the same opportunities that I've been allowed to have all this time. And that's potentially, I think, the greatest asset that I can give to the people that, and there's many people out there that would still work for me all for all these years because I've given those opportunities like they were given to me. Um, the industry is changing rapidly. Is it changing as rapidly for the women who want to be involved in it? I still think we have a long way to go. I'll, I'll give you another example. I am part of um, an organization, um, the 30% Club, the actual mentoring program that happens here in New York. And what it does is it pairs um, across different firms, mentors and mentees. And largely the mentees are all women. I will tell you that the mentors are by and large still all men. It's very, I'd say it's probably 5% of those mentors that are women, which says to me, you know, how are we truly inspiring the up and coming women unless they can see themselves mm-hmm. in what's out there? So, um, I mean, I'm happy to participate. I'm still participating in the program. Uh, but I think we still have the, the balance of opportunity. I don't want to say the balance of power. The balance of opportunity is still too heavily weighted to the males and largely very much so in technology as well. What can change that? How can we get more women involved in the industry from, from college? Well, certainly, so another part, an organization that I'm involved in, I'm actually on the board of with the Anita Borg Institute, which is one of the premier organization for women in technology. And every year, there is a event called the Grace Hopper event that either happens in Orlando and Houston because it now carries about 20,000, I'm not kidding, 20,000 women that are walking around out of college with their resumes looking to find jobs. And all the major firms are there. It's actually a force. Wow. And um, so those kind of events, I think back to 30 plus years ago, we didn't have those kind of events, right? I'm very used to being the only woman in, woman in the room. Uh, but to now, at least firms are standing up and saying, we need to do something about this. What I think is most important, though, it's one thing to hire the women. The other is to make sure that they've had the opportunities that I've had to change jobs every two or three years in the firm. And they're cultivated and seeing the organization from lots of different viewpoints. That's making them a much more well-rounded and much more prepared for more senior roles. So what would you say to a woman or any entrepreneur that's entering the industry that is unsure of their path or working different jobs all the time? Because that's scary to change jobs all the time. And and who, I mean, some people just stick in their job um, who are, want to give themselves the permission to succeed. Well, I think, honestly, Doug, you're leading me right into a very important point, which is to take these risks. And I will tell you that every time, even within, you know, the safety of an organization that I was very well known in, given those opportunities, even at some point where I left technology and went to the business side and led from there, is big, it's a big risk. And it, it involves change and no one likes change. In some cases, other people are seeing in you the things you can't see in yourself. And I think that's always good counsel. 
sometimes. I, I could be the hardest on myself, but other people said to me, you can go do this. Why don't you just go do it? And I have over the years. Um, so that's ultimately very, very important. The second piece is um, that we need to all get better about data and understanding what's going on around us, whether it be clients' experiences, whether it be our own operation or what we're responsible for, we have to measure it. One of the greatest mentors I had was, was, was we used to call him the measurements maniac uh, because he really measured everything, but it's true in today's digital world, your Airbnb example before, the digital natives measure everything. They're making decisions and they're refining and changing their business based upon what data is telling them. And it's, it's no longer a nice to have. It's really integral to being able to grow your, your entrepreneurship, whatever your responsibility is. And then I would say the last piece is certainly to find value in the people that you surround yourself with, to listen to them, to roll up your sleeves and work with them when is needed. Uh, because that to me in the end, I mean, that's still what gives me the most joy is to watch people develop and, you know, and, and now I have a whole new, you know, a new everybody at Pershing and BMY Mellon starting all over again in Apex. But, you know, it's funny how many people you walk into uh, that you know from the past. Um, and that truly is how you grow a big, a great firm is when you have the great people around you. So you have the super opportunity in front of you. Mm -hmm. What do you want Apex to be known for in three years from now? Hmm. I think where I, ultimately, I want Apex to be known as being a great partner. So to the firms that we serve, and again, it's a B2B business, so it's slightly different. Your, your consumer is different ultimately, right? Um, and there's lots of decision makers that you need to deal with, both from the business side and certainly from the technology side, which has much more of a voice today. But in the end, I want Apex to be known as the firm that helped all these firms to become successful, that we brought the right services and products to the table, that they were able to partner with us and grow in the experience that they think is appropriate that was going to make the difference or disrupt in whatever industry they happen to be in, that takes advantage of the financial services know-how that we all have. That's great. And for those of you who want to visit Apex Clearing, it's apexclearing.com. And those of you who need a mentor, it's Lucille Mayer on, on LinkedIn, or she can give you somebody else that may be just as great. So, um, Lucille, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll get you on your plane. Okay. And for everyone at iris.xyz and the Permission to Seek podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen. Thank you for joining us. Doug, thank you for your time. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds, smart investing starts here.